0: Amen. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of Micah. Micah's in the Old Testament towards the end, right before, right after the book of Jonah. And I'm excited to be in our second sermon in this series called Justice and Love, where we're walking through the prophet Micah and seeing what God has to say to us from this short book. And I'm excited today for our message. And so today we're going to be in Micah chapter 3. We're going to look at the whole chapter. So would you read the word of God with me as we prepare to hear from our king and our savior today? This is the word of the Lord in Micah chapter 3. It says, And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil. Who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war, ...against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word from the prophet Micah, God. Lord, we know that Sometimes these Old Testament passages are difficult, and so we pray that you would give us wisdom today, that you would speak to us and reveal to us what you have to say to us, to God. And so would you help us to see today that we need guidance, we need wisdom, we need somebody to lead us. We need a faithful leader over us. We thank you that you've given us that in Jesus Christ. So would you help us to see him today in your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So are there really any faithful leaders? I mean, I don't know about you, but lately when I look around at the people of God, it seems like there's just not any faithful leaders. I mean, there seems to be pastors and ministry leaders who are falling into sin or unbelief just left and right, whether it's adultery or abuse or whether it's bullying their congregations or stealing money from their churches, it seems like so many leaders are just simply unfaithful. I mean, even right now in the Southern Baptist Convention, there's questions about the faithfulness of some of the leaders. and The same is true in other denominations too. Now, I'm encouraged by the leadership of this church. I'm thankful for my fellow pastors. I'm thankful for our deacons and our community group leaders and our women's and children's ministry leaders. I'm, I'm thankful for the many leaders at this church, and, that, and you should be thankful too. But in reality, all of us are unfaithful in one way or another, right? All of us fail in some way. Each one of us has some sort of sin or failure in our lives, and so there's not a perfect person among us. There's not a perfectly faithful leader among us. And so we're left asking, well, is there anybody who's faithful? Is there anyone who's going to lead the people of God in faithfulness? Is there anyone that we can follow? Is there anyone we can trust? Is there anyone we can put our hope in? This is where we find the people of God in Micah chapter 3. We find a bunch of unfaithful leaders in Israel. The kings were unfaithful. The prophets were unfaithful. Even the priests were unfaithful. And so Micah comes to God's people to call them out for their unfaithfulness. Micah stands in the place as the one faithful prophet, the one filled with justice, the one filled with the Spirit of God, the one filled with the power to declare Israel's sin. You see, Micah is just a picture of the true faithful prophet. I just said a minute ago that there's not a perfect person among us. And that wasn't entirely true because there is a perfect person among us and his name is Jesus. He's God's faithful prophet. He is the faithful prophet we can follow, the the faithful prophet we can trust, the faithful prophet we can put all our hope in. And so my prayer for us today is that we would see that Jesus is God's faithful prophet, the one we can follow the one we can trust, the one we can hope in. I want us to see first in our passage that we need a prophet filled with justice. We need a prophet filled with justice. So when we open Micah chapter 3, we see one main problem. Israel's leaders are unfaithful. That's the problem that Micah is addressing. So remember, the book of Micah and all the prophets really are about one main thing. What's wrong with Israel And what God is going to do to fix it. And so here in chapter 3, we see what's wrong is that there are a bunch of unfaithful leaders. Notice how Israel is full of unfaithful rulers. Look at verse 1 again with me. And Micah said, Here you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? Micah turns to address these rulers. And this would have been anyone from the king in the high places all the way down to the judges who ruled in all of the cities in Israel. But Micah shows these rulers have failed miserably. He tells us in verse 2 that they hate good and they love evil. That's backwards, right? And then he goes to give us a pretty gross and gruesome description of what these leaders are doing to the people. He says they are treating them like animals to be chopped into pieces and slaughtered and ripped apart and boiled and cooked to be eaten. We look down in verse 9 and we see that Micah says there's a day coming when they will, they're going to cry out to the Lord. That's in verse 4. But God will not answer them because they've made their deeds evil. There's destruction coming for them. Down in verse 9 he says that they hate justice. They've made crooked all it straight. They've built their city with violence and bloodshed. They've put it all together with oppression, and God hated it. He hated the way these rulers are treating the people of Israel. God's ruler has, rulers have been unfaithful. They've turned their backs on justice. But not Micah. Look at verse 8. Micah says, But as for me, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice. And might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. You see, justice is one of the main themes in the book of Micah. God's people have wandered into injustice. We saw that last week. And Micah is calling them out for it. The the prophets, many of the prophets, deal with the issue of injustice in Israel and they're calling the people to repentance. That's exactly what Micah is doing here in chapter 3. Now, what exactly does that mean? What is justice? What does the Bible mean when it talks about justice? What are the things that these rulers are supposed to be doing in Israel? Well, first, biblical justice means enforcing laws that are fair. And we get that right. It was their job as rulers to make sure everyone was treated fairly. Just read through the laws of Moses. You'll see law after law about treating people with fairness. That's what it means to do justice. Second, biblical justice means making wrongs right. Making wrongs right. When the Bible talks about justice, it's not just about punishing people who've done wrong. It's more than that. It's about making things right, or what people call restorative justice. These rulers were called to restore broken relationships, to fix things that were broken, to make wrongs right. And third, biblical justice means caring for the vulnerable. So fairness, making wrongs right, and then caring for the vulnerable. Justice is not just a matter of having the right laws or or fixing things that are wrong. It's about caring for the most vulnerable people among us. Listen to Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow... The fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. You see, the rulers are called to do justice, and that means they're to care for the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the poor. But you see, they were failing miserably. It was these people who were chewed up and spit out, to use Micah's analogy. Now, some people might say, yeah, that's the Old Testament. You're talking about that in the Old Testament. The New Testament is about preaching the gospel so that people can be saved. Some will say, we don't really need to talk about justice. It's the gospel that's what's most important. Do you know who has a problem with that? Jesus has a problem with that. Listen to what he says in Matthew 23, verse 23, as he's calling out the religious rulers in his day. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe... And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, Jesus is God's faithful prophet, and he was like Micah, filled with justice. Jesus taught us to treat everyone with fairness, right? Jesus taught us to make wrongs right. He taught us to care for the poor, You see, there's not a tension between preaching the gospel and doing justice. The gospel and justice, they're not enemies, they're friends. And it's all part of the Great Commission. Now you might say, where is justice in the Great Commission? Well, the Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It's what we're called to do as a church. And Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. There it is. Teach people to do all I've commanded you. If Jesus commands us to do justice, then there is justice in the Great Commission. To treat people with fairness, to make wrongs right, to care for the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, and the poor. Jesus is God's faithful prophet who calls us to follow him into justice and into love. But the good news is that Jesus does more than simply tell us to do justice. Jesus actually gives us the heart to do justice. Because if you remember from last week, I said at its core, injustice is a failure to love your neighbor as yourself. And when we fail to love people, we mistreat them. We abuse them. We take advantage of them. That's injustice. And failure to love others is a heart problem. And it's a good thing that God's word tells us to seek justice. But it's a better thing that God actually, in Jesus, gives us the heart to do it. We're selfish at times, aren't we? We're hateful at times. We don't want to love other people at times. But the good news is that in Christ, who lived and died and rose again for us, that we have been made new creations. We have new hearts that can actually love God and love other people. Jesus died to transform us into people who love and people who do justice. So here's a simple application for you today. Just ask yourself this question every day. Jesus, who do you want me to love today? Who do you want me to love today? Who have you placed in my life? Maybe it's somebody at home, somebody at work, somebody at Kroger, somebody on the other side of the counter at the bank who's messing up my money. Whatever the case is, Jesus, who do you want me to love? Is there somebody I need to treat with fairness? Is there somebody I need to make right or wrong? Is there somebody that I need to care for? Maybe Jesus wants you to seek out someone to show justice, a widow or an orphan or a refugee family or someone poor. You see, seeking justice on a large scale can be difficult, but for us just to do it every day, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, who do you want me to love today? Jesus is God's faithful prophet filled with justice. So brothers and sisters, let's follow him and let's Follow him together in love and in justice. Number two. So not only do we need a prophet filled with justice, we need a prophet filled with the Spirit. Notice with me back in Micah 3 how Israel is full of unfaithful prophets. Look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. You see, Micah is calling out the prophets for abusing their job. It was their job to speak the word of God to the people. But they became prophets for hire. If you put enough money in their pocket or enough food in their belly, then they would give you a favorable word from the Lord. Peace. Peace is coming from you. But if you didn't pay them, if you didn't fill their belly with food, they would give you a bad word from the Lord. War is coming for you. With enough money, you could essentially buy a favorable blessing from God. And God hated it. In verses 6 and 7, Micah says God is going to judge these unfaithful prophets. He's going to take his word from them, his light from them. They're going to dwell in darkness and in shame. God's prophets have been unfaithful. But Micah is different. Again, in verse 8, Micah tells us he is filled with power and with the Spirit of the Lord, and that makes sense, right? When a prophet speaks, it's the Spirit of God that guides them. Zechariah seven twelve tells us that the prophets are guided by the Spirit who sends them. If we're going to have a prophet who actually speaks for God, then it's going to have to be by the power of the Spirit of God. And so, Micah in this way, and all the other prophets, really become a picture of the true prophet Jesus. It's no wonder then that when Jesus begins his ministry, the Spirit comes upon him at his baptism. It's no wonder then that Luke would describe him as full of the Holy Spirit. And it's no wonder that his first sermon he ever preached began with these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is the true faithful prophet and he is filled with the Spirit of God. Now you might say, well, good for him. What what does that really matter for us? What does it matter for us that Jesus is filled with the Spirit? Well, if we know that every word that Jesus ever spoke was sent by the Spirit of God, then we can trust Jesus. Many people will say, well, Jesus was such a great teacher. No, he was not a great teacher. He was the teacher He is the Word of God made flesh. He is the final revelation of God. He is the truth. He is the wisdom. And we know this because Jesus is full of the Spirit of God. Every word he ever spoke, every miracle he ever did, every action, every conversation, everything that he did, he was full of the Spirit of God. And that means we can trust him. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means we can trust him yesterday, today, and forever. And so if you are in Christ today, Jesus will never let you down. Jesus will never lead you astray. Jesus will never leave you alone. Jesus will never have mixed motives. Jesus will never be two-faced. Jesus will never betray you. Jesus will never disappoint you. Jesus will never disavow you. Jesus will never divorce you. By the power of the Spirit, Jesus lived and died and rose again, and that means we can trust him. He's God's faithful prophet, brothers and sisters, so let's trust him. Maybe you're here and you're having a hard time finding some direction in your life. Trust that Jesus will guide you and give you wisdom. Maybe you're having a hard time seeing that Jesus is working even through the difficult things in your life. Trust him. Trust that he's working for your good, even if you can't see it. Maybe you're having a hard time trusting that Jesus really does love you. Trust that his death proved the depths of his love for you. Maybe you're having a hard time seeing that Jesus is really worth following. Don't believe the lie that there's something better than Jesus in this world. There's not. He's better than anything that this world has to offer. Better than money, better than relationships, better than sports, better than a successful career. Jesus is better than all of it. And we can trust him on that. You see, when Jesus says, I love my sheep, we can trust him. When Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, we can trust him. When Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, we can trust him. When Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world, we can trust him. When Jesus says, whoever drinks from the water that I give will never thirst, we can trust him. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, we can trust him. Friends, let's trust Him together. Jesus is God's faithful prophet filled with the Spirit of God, so let's trust Him together. Lastly, number three, we need a prophet filled with justice and filled with the Spirit. And number three, we need a prophet filled with forgiveness. A prophet filled with forgiveness. Notice with me how Israel is full of unfaithful priests. Look at verse 11 in chapter 3. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. So not only are the rulers and the prophets crooked, but now the priests are getting in on it too. And they are teachers for hire. You see, one of the main rules of the priests was to, be, to teach Israel how to be faithful to the covenant they made with God. They were all over in the cities, and their job was to teach people covenant faithfulness. But for the right price, they'll tell you anything that you want to hear. They'll tell you, hey, you can do anything you want to violate this covenant with God. Just pay me enough money, and I'll tell you, yeah, that's okay. If the price is right, they'll let you be unfaithful to God and tell you that it's just fine. And God hated that. Notice how Micah says there, the rest of verse 11, that all of these leaders thought they were good with God. They say they, Micah says they lean on the Lord and say, Is the Lord not in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. They're doing all of this terrible stuff and they think that they're still good with God. I mean, surely God loves us, right? God is here in the midst of us. We are His chosen people there's no way he'll let anything happen to us this is what they were saying back in micah chapter 2 don't preach about sin don't preach about judgment god is on our side and we're good with him but micah knows better they're not good with god and god is going to punish their unfaithfulness look at verse 12 therefore because of you zion shall be plowed as a field Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house of the Lord a wooded height. God's going to punish Israel. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. The Temple Mount is going to become a wild forest. God is not happy with these unfaithful leaders. And he's going to bring judgment upon his people for it. But notice again back in verse 8 how Micah describes his mission. He says, I'm filled with the spirit of the Lord with justice and might to do what? To declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. Micah's mission was to come to God's people and to expose their sin. And he's doing a good job. I mean, we're only three chapters in and he's already calling out Israel for all of their many sins, their idolatry, their injustice. And remember, Micah, his ministry as a prophet lasted 25 years This book is just a summary of all of those years of him calling out Israel for their sin. And that was a gift of grace to the people of Israel. But it wasn't enough. God's people needed something more. They didn't need someone to just declare their sins. They needed somebody to come and to deal with their sins. Let's suppose someday you end up having to visit an oncologist. That's a doctor who... Treats cancer. Maybe there's been problems in your life and you end up getting some tests run. You meet with this doctor. She runs these tests. She comes to you and says, sure enough, yeah, you have cancer. So your first question is probably going to be, so what are you going to do about it? What kind of treatment are you going to do to kill this cancer? Talking radiation, chemo, surgery. What are you going to do to deal with this cancer? That's probably what we would all ask, right? How are we going to fix this problem? What if she said to you, oh, I don't treat cancer. I just tell people they have it. I I don't treat cancer. I just let you know you've got it. What would you say to her? Okay, well, can you find me a doctor who does treat cancer? Can you find me somebody who doesn't just tell me I've got it, but who can actually deal with the problem? Can you find me somebody who can deal with this cancer? You know, the Bible is clear. We all have a spiritual cancer called sin. And we need somebody who can not just declare our sin to us. We need somebody who can deal with our sin. We don't just need our sin exposed. We need it erased. We don't need somebody to tell us we're sinners, which we are. But we need somebody to actually forgive our sins. And this is where Jesus is the prophet that Micah could never be. Micah was faithful to declare the sins of God's people, but it would be Jesus who would be faithful to deal with the sins of God's people. And he would do it by his death on the cross. You see, the Bible is clear. There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. The punishment we deserve for sin is death. And the only way to escape that punishment is for blood to be shed in our place. And that's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus humbled himself and came into the world. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. And that obedience led him straight to the cross. On the cross, he suffered, he bled, and he died, and he did it to forgive our sins. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life. He's the priest who offers himself as the sacrifice. He's the king who dies to rescue his people. He is the prophet who forgives our sins. If you've never been Forgiven by Jesus, today is a great day to be forgiven. If you've never trusted Christ, never said, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I believe that you died to save me. Will you come and forgive me, Jesus? If you've never said that, today is a great day to say that. Jesus loves to forgive sinners. You might say, well, pastor, you don't know all the things I've done in my life. I certainly don't, but Jesus does. And he's willing to forgive anyone who will turn to him in faith. Anyone who will cry out to him for forgiveness. You might say, well, how do you know? Well, he died to prove it. He died to prove his love for sinners like you and like me. And he offers it to anyone who will repent and believe in him. Today's a great day to do that. If you've never done that, would you do that today for the first time? And if you have been forgiven by Jesus then let me try to convince you that you really have been forgiven by Jesus. Martin Luther once said, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. To really believe that we've been forgiven by sheer grace is the hardest thing. So let me remind us who struggle with sin. Let me remind us who feel ashamed. Let me remind us who feel guilty, who hide in the darkness, let me remind us that Jesus is faithful to forgive us and that we can put all our hope in him. You see, by his death on the cross, Jesus has cast our sins to the bottom of the sea. By his death on the cross, Jesus has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. By his death on the cross, Jesus has forgiven our sins Forevermore, And he has forgotten them forevermore. It's not an easy thing for God to forget something. You see, Jesus is the one who told the crowds, I have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus is the one who told his friends at the Last Supper, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the one who said to the Father on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And Jesus is the risen one who told his disciples, go to all the nations and proclaim forgiveness of sins in my name. You see, when Jesus told people in the Gospels they were forgiven, they didn't say to him, really? You sure? And when he said on the cross, it's finished, he didn't mean almost finished. He didn't mean 99.9% finished. No, he said, it's done. You're forgiven. We're forgiven. So brothers and sisters, Jesus is God's faithful prophet who came to deal with our sin. So let's put all our hope in him. Let's trust in the forgiveness that he gives. You know, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 1, the pastor calls us. He says, consider Jesus. He says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the author and high priest of our confession, who was faithful. Jesus was faithful. Jesus is faithful. Jesus will forever be faithful. He's God's faithful king. He's God's faithful priest. He's God's faithful prophet. And we can follow him because he's filled with justice. We can trust him because he's filled with the spirit. And we can put all our hope in him because he has forgiven our sins. I mean, is there anyone truly faithful? Yes. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your word. What a blessing it is to even read this difficult passage in Micah and to see how it shows us just how wonderful Jesus is. God, we pray for those today who've maybe never put their hope in Christ, who've never been forgiven. Lord, today is a great day for them to be forgiven. Lord, would you do that today? Would you draw them to yourself so that they may cry out in faith to Jesus and be saved? And so, God, for those of us in Christ who have trusted him, Lord, help us to follow him into obedience to the justice that he calls us to do. Thank you for new hearts that can actually love. So, God, help us to love. We thank you that Jesus was filled with the spirit so that we can trust him. And so, God, I don't know everyone's situation or everyone's heart, but help them to see that Jesus can be trusted. Though everyone be found a liar, God, Christ be found true. So help us to trust him today. And help us to be thankful and blessed by the fact that we have a better Micah who doesn't just declare our sins, but who deals with our sins on the cross. Help us to find that forgiveness, to rest in that forgiveness, to, to see that forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for the blood that Jesus shed and to help us to put all of our hope in him. And as we consider Jesus today and this week and really the rest of our lives. Help us to see that Christ is faithful and that we can put all of our hope in Him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.